morning, everybody. We are ready for our time of preaching. Let me encourage you to take your Bible in whatever form you have it, and would you please go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go together to Ephesians chapter 6. My name is Matt, and I'm the pastor of adult ministries here at Grace, and I am just so thankful that you're here today. We're going to get the most out of our time in the Bible if we're looking at it and studying it and considering what it has to say. And also, I want to encourage you to have the sermon notes. You can access those on the app that were mentioned just a few moments ago, or there's a hard copy back there in the back. Now, as we, as we get started today, as Pastor Phil mentioned, we're in a, we're, we're a little more than halfway through a four-part series that we've called By Design, where we just really felt it was necessary to do our best to understand God's intention for four important areas, humanity, marriage, the family, and the church. And, and our goal for, these four part, for this four-part series is not, uh, as if this were possible, answer every conceivable question or address every possible situation, but, but rather to do our very best to create biblical clarity where there is cultural confusion and perhaps even Christian confusion as we study what God's Word uh, clearly, clearly has to say in order that grace can continue to be a church that produces faithful followers of Jesus who live courageously and graciously today. This is really our goal, to see Christians built up and sent out. And that sent out involves tomorrow morning. That sent out involves this week as your kids start school. That sent out involves uh, th- this time as your, as, your, as your college student begins college. We want to be the kind of church that does that. And so uh, it's really our conviction that, that, that God's people are the ministry. And so we're really trying to do everything we can uh, so that you will be uh, equipped, equipped to do this. Now, um, and hopefully you're seeing that each of these four messages, humanity, marriage, the family, and the church, are really building on each other. It's the case in life that things flow downstream, that one thing follows the other. That's pretty natural. And so if we're we're a church that affirms and celebrates the uh, men and women made in God's image... Then, then we are, if we love that and we celebrate it and we want our children to know and our, and our grandchildren to know that it is good to be a boy, it's good to be a girl, that God's design is for your good and is to be celebrated, if we, if we affirm that, then at the very same time, it, it, it's just downstream that we would then, as we considered last week, celebrate these men and women made in God's image coming together in, in this union and in this oneness that the Bible calls marriage. And, and of course, we learn, we learn from the Bible, and we learned last week from Pastor Phil that every marriage points beyond itself, either in a false way or in a true way, to the cosmic relationship between the risen Christ and his church. That's what every marriage does. Every marriage points beyond itself and gives a picture of, of, of Jesus and his love and loyalty to his people. And if you just keep flowing downstream, it then seems most natural and most expected that those who come together in this union of marriage, this, men and, this man and woman made in God's image as, as a picture of the covenant love of Christ, are then to do what is most natural and expected, to produce children and to form a family so that that family is raised up and those children are raised up and so that this, this can, can continue generation after generation. So we considered humanity, we considered marriage, and now we're going to consider the family. And I think it's really important to say as we start that very similar to the word marriage, we each hear the word family a little differently. And that's not because we would advocate for each of us having our own personalized definition of what those things are. I think that would be buying into the individualism of our culture that says self is Lord. 
Rather, what we are trying to do, what I'm trying to say now, is for us to understand that each of us have experienced these things a little differently. Uh, Some of us, even right now in the stage of life that we're in, some of us are right in the middle of the fun and exhausting work called raising children. Anybody else with me on that one? Okay. Well done. With practices and play dates, every day it seems like. Right? My wife and I are always like, does this have to happen? Does this have to happen? Maybe you're there too. Some of us have moved into that interesting season that involves interacting with and continuing to coach and counsel a young adult and an emerging adult. And that would involve some of us who just made the trip to drop him or her off at college, maybe for the first time. I'm not there yet, but I hear it's hard. Some of us look, now some of us are able to look back on these seasons. And now we're seeing our kids do these things. And if I dare say, maybe even their kids do these things if the Lord has given us that kind of life. And so we each are in different seasons, and then we've each had our own different experiences of, the, experience of these things. So some of us, when we hear family, we have, we have nothing but good faults. And then there are some of us who have the opposite of good faults. Due to whatever experience, due to God's providence, we, we've experienced up to this point in our life involving these very important relationships that we would call husband and wife and family in these things. For some of us, family is very hard right now. We really wish we had answers, and we just don't, and we're not sure what to do. Some of us feel like we're clicking on all cylinders and we're waiting for a shoe to drop. You know, it can be just as stressful to be in a difficult season. It can also be stressful to be burdened with a difficult season that you know could come. We have regret, we have guilt, we have uncertainty. Some of, us are, some of us here are eager to have children but haven't had them yet. Some of us are eager to be married but that is not yet so. I, I, st- I set the stage like that, brothers and sisters, because I, I'm, just, I'm very aware today that no one sermon can solve all the world's problems and that no one sermon can address every situation and, every conce- and answer every conceivable question. Your hope as a preacher and a pastor is always in the goodness and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to be the real teacher and minister. And to my prayer is always that you would hear a better sermon than the one I preach. And I'm really hoping that today, that God would minister this word as we talk about families. And as this most directly affects those with, those with, those with children in the home, there's all sorts of shades of stages of life and seasons that we need wisdom for. And so I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to help us today and to leave us with the good news, the good news about Jesus for families like ours, for husbands like us, for moms like us, for grandparents like us. That's what I'm hoping to do. As you are able, would you please stand? I'd like us to read Ephesians 6 together, and then we'll break it down. I want us to read it together. It'll be on the screens. Ephesians 6, we're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to read verse 4. This is a well-known passage. It's been preached uh, well from this pulpit already. And so in one sense, you're going to hear uh, some things you know, but it's good to be reminded of things we've already heard. So I hope the Lord will apply this to our lives. Let's read together starting at Ephesians 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, a lot of people have come here to church today, but I pray that you would come now. I pray that you would teach us by your word. 
Holy Spirit, I address you as God, as the teacher, as God on scene in our lives, who, who, who broods over us, who, who works in the people, who is Christ on scene. I pray that you would be our teacher today, our minister today. So Lord, give comfort where comfort is needed. Give conviction where conviction is needed. Give answers where it is needed. Calm our what ifs and our hypotheticals. Help us to crucify how we catastrophize what may happen with our kids. Help us to learn practical ways about how we can do this a little bit better and help our children grow to be faithful followers and disciples of Jesus. Teach us that there is no guilt in life and there is no fear in death because we have Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would do this and more than we could ask or imagine as we speak about the family today. In Jesus' great name we pray, amen. Amen, you can take your seats, friends, thank you. So as we consider Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, there's a lot here. I I want our big idea today to be this. Uh, As a church, uh, Grace Church cares about families because Grace Church is concerned about the next generation. Grace Church cares about families because Grace Church is concerned about the next generation. And, and in most cases, the next generation, it certainly applies to, applies to, this, to this pastor's family, the next generation are those, younger and, are those younger and smaller people that live in my house. And we're concerned about that. Now, if you really wanted to get to the heart of things, maybe another way to say it would be that we here at Grace Church care about families because we are called to make disciples. We care about families because we are called to make disciples. And the vision that God gives the family, that God gives to the church about the family, is this place where evangelism happens, where the gospel is shared, where children are told of their need of Christ, where they're brought to trust in Christ, to turn from their sin and to embrace Christ as Savior. And where those same children are then encouraged to follow the Lord Jesus, to to trust their mom and dad, to be given accurate pictures of who God is from their parents. This and thousands of things else, but it's certainly the case that the Bible is clear that the family is to be a place where children are brought up and sent out. It's as if God looks at inadequate parents like me and says, here's a block of wood by my grace. Turn it into an arrow and send it out. This is the vision. And so we care about families because we're called to make disciples. It's very obvious to me, as a dad with five kids who are all still small, that in the midst of all the ministry opportunities God may give me, it just seems, each and every day, it is more and more abundantly obvious that I think the most comprehensive And consistent evangelism, sharing Christ, and discipleship, helping someone grow in Christ, I will ever do. The most consistent and comprehensive ministry I will ever have will be with my children. It'll be washing my my, my wife with the word. It'll be cherishing them tenderly and seeing them sent out and counseling and coaching as they get older. It just seems to be the most consistent. And so we need great help with this. Grace Church, we care about families because we're called to make disciples. So let's consider this. The text here in Ephesians 6 breaks into two parts pretty evenly. Paul's going to speak directly to children. So if you're here and you're a, you're a child in the home, Paul's going to speak directly to you and to the parents. And then starting in verse 4, he speaks to fathers, I think is the representative head of the home, and through them to both parents as both parents are equally present. So let's take them one at a time. First, friends, let's consider God's word to children. God's word to children. God calls children to two activities 
in verses 1 and 2. Very obvious. Obedience and honor. Obedience and honor. He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. This is natural. It's expected. The Lord requires it that children be obedient to their parents. Now, obedience is simple enough to define. In any context, even outside of the home, obedience is listening in order to respond, right? Listening in order to respond. A command is given and a response happens. You know, do this, don't do that. Don't run there, run here. You know, don't touch that again, you know. A command is given and a response is, is, is required. Now, when we're just talking about obedience like that, that that's pretty, applies pretty straightforward if our children are zero to 10. You can, no, no hard, fast rule here. But, you know, there's a lot of commands given. Uh, there's a really great, just on obedience and what children are required to do by the Lord, there's a really great book called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Um, it's just an excellent book. Moms and dads, I would, I would, I would go, it's, 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 you don't say this about every book. I would go home and order this one today if you haven't read it. Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. He has a lot to say about parenting and how, uh, and what it means. And he also walks through the various stages of family and child life. But when he's describing the kind of obedience that we want children to get early, that will then have a direct effect on the rest of their life beyond that. He says that kind of obedience that the child is to render to the parent is to be without delay, without challenge, and without excuse. He says children should obey without challenge, without delay, and without excuse. In other words, the kind of obedience that I want for my children, I think especially when they were young, in order to prepare them for what's later, needs to be quick and cheerful. Right? We tell our kids, obey fast. Obey fast. Okay, so I, uh, just when our oldest son was born, it was right, <laughs> he was three months old when we moved here to Des Moines, so this was really soon after he was born. I just had, a, had an older member of our church uh, at our church in North Carolina tell me, tell me, hey, just so you know, and he, he, he was kind of known for just giving you, kind of giving you flyby advice that like changed your whole life and then just walking off. Um, just one of those guys. And he, he said, he said, hey, just so you know, if you count to three and then he obeys, he didn't obey. Okay, he delayed his obedience, right? Man, I, and I know it's hard. Like, look, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to say I've never counted with my kids. What I'm trying to say is the principle's really clear, isn't it? Without challenge, without delay, and without excuse. That's the kind of obedience that we want. And that trains a child's heart how to respond to authority. Now, that's what Paul says second. Obedience, now second, is honor. Honor. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. That's the fifth commandment from, Deut- from Exodus chapter 20 in Deuteronomy, uh, in the early chapters of Deuteronomy, which is the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3, here's the promise, straight from Exodus, with a slight variation, that, you, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Paul says, a plot takes the fifth commandment, drops it right into this new covenant context where Christ has been, Christ has been raised from the dead and says that still applies, and it's with a promise. This will have a positive benefit to the child. Now, the nature of the promise taken from Exodus 20, dropped down into Ephesians chapter 6, hasn't changed. 
Paul has, however, expanded its reach. You'll notice at the end of verse 3, the promise itself, that they may live long on the earth. In Exodus, it says, in the land, it's referring to Israel. Well, now it's expanded because the gospel has expanded things. The reach is wider. So now it applies to any Christian family anywhere they're found. But the key command here is to honor. Now, that word honor is, is the ability to properly estimate the worth of something. Okay, so, so, so it's a child being able to have a certain posture towards mom and dad that understands their significance. It's as if to say to a child, the parents are the heavyweights in their life. The children bear, to the child, mom and dad are significant. They're not a peer. They have a certain posture towards their parent. And Paul says, there's a promise attached with this. If we can train children to do this, it will bear out effects in other areas of their life. Here's how it goes. Honor your father and mother, that it may be well with you. That's quality. And you may live long on the earth. That's quantity. Clearly, what Paul is saying is that there is a direct connection between a child's ability to respond rightly to good authority that has an effect in the rest of their life. There's something about learning that authority, when, when, when given graciously and tenderly, an authority that knows the difference between harsh and firm, that trains a, that trains a, a heart that, that bears out in other areas of life. So certainly one of the things Something I am teaching my children right now to do by doing my very best to teach. We have our kids. We ask our kids, who are mom and dad? And the answer they're, they're supposed to give is my loving authority. Now, hopefully by doing that, what I'm doing is teaching them how to be a really good employee later. Who understands rules and regulations and can operate well when people are over them. That's a lot of life. And hopefully I'm teaching them how to be, if, if God has these plans for them, a good boss. Certainly I hope that by doing my very best to give these demonstrations of loving authority, I'm coaching them on how to, my four sons on how to be a good dad who can himself express that authority. And my, and my daughter, how to, how, to, how to submit to that authority when, Lord willing, she's married and come alongside that loving authority that it may go well with you. This is the promise, teaching it early, giving it consistently, tenderly, firmly, but not harshly, trains the heart. And there's some concrete examples of this, aren't there? I mean, if you, this, you will live long on the earth. I mean, if, I, if, you're, if, you're, playing, if you're playing soccer in the front yard uh, with a, any, any child from ages four to 12, that's totally arbitrary, just trying to give you a spread. Before they're young adult, okay, four to twelve, and 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 the, you're kicking the soccer ball, and 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 the whole time you've been thinking, why are we doing this in the front yard? I've got a backyard, but you're in the front yard, and and the so, and the, and the soccer ball gets kicked, and it's going into the street. Now you and, and your and your child, four to twelve, starts running after it. Okay, well, well, you know, you're gonna, you may do something the child doesn't do. What are you gonna do? You're gonna look both ways. Okay, now they may not be doing that. Now. This is a very concrete example of how obedience and honor to the parents could really extend the child's life because a car's coming. Have you been here, parents? If a car's coming, it is very important that that 4 to 12-year-old obey quick, without challenge, without excuse, and without delay when you say stop. 
right? They, they don't need to keep running and say, why? We, you know, I'll tell you why after. I'm trying to get the reflex to a good authority. So it might, and there are some cases in which it might quite literally extend their life on the earth. Honor. Now, here's an immediate question. To whom do these things apply? And what I mean is, in this context, who is a child? Okay, because we're not all in the same stages of life. Well, let me, let me, let me get at it like this. O- obedience is obedience no matter the context, right? It's listening to respond. But it is absolutely the case, and we need great wisdom to, to, to understand that there is absolutely differences, although the principles remain the same, There's, the methods may change it, in terms of how you parent a seven-year-old and how you parent a 17-year-old. Um, I, I've, I've got a seven-year-old. I also have a five-year-old. Um, my five-year-old is given some choices, but he's mainly given commands. Sit here, do this, I hope tender, as tenderly as I can be, because I'm trying to build this reflex in him. Okay? I want him to respond graciously to my authority. Now, when he's, when he's 15, those things are going to look just a little bit different. And so we need wisdom for how to apply these things. I do want to say this, that it is absolutely the case that although direct obedience to parental commands, do this, don't do this, don't do that, does have limits, honor does not. Honor is for always. There is always to be, no matter the age, an estimation of children to their parents and that in that significance. There's always to be an honor. We never disregard our parents. It doesn't matter what age we are. And by the way, it says honor, and then it doesn't say if they're honorable. It says honor. It says honor. And I know that can be difficult. Second, friends, let's consider, let's consider this. Let's consider God's word to fathers. God's word to fathers. So clearly he speaks to children, and then in verse 4 he says, and you fathers... Fathers. Now, I, I want to answer an important question here that seems to be, uh, seems to be in the passage. So my, my question is this. Why does, why, does Paul speak, why does he single out fathers? Okay, Because, and I think it's an important question to answer, because when we look at the context of the whole passage, um, Paul, could not Paul have said in verse 4, and you parents? Right? He could have done that because he's already said in verse 1, children, obey your parents right? He's already said in verse 2, honor your father and mother. So clearly the word parents is readily available to him in the context, but he says fathers. Now what that teaches us is not that everything that is about to be said is for the father and not for mom, or is said to the father at the expense of the mother, or is assuming that only dads are in the home. There's nothing like that. It's life's far more complicated. As far as the child is concerned, mom and dad carry equal authority, I want my, it's very important that my wife's word carry as much weight as mine does. If, if anything, for the simple fact that I, she's there with them more, at least in this stage of our life. Behind mom, behind, behind my wife, I want them to see me agreeing, liking, saying, yes, go get them. You know, get after it. You got this. Do the Lord's work, you know. And so it, it clearly is not one at the expense of another. For instance, Proverbs 6, verse 20 Proverbs 6, verse 20 says, My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake the law of your mother. Okay? So both have a law. Both have commands. Proverbs 23, verse 25. Let your father and your mother rejoice and let her who bore you rejoice. 
Proverbs 23, 25. And so Paul writes to fathers, he does not mean at the expense of mothers. I think he's doing this for at least two reasons. I do think he's addressing fathers in their role as the final, as the responsible party for the home. I think he's reminding fathers that you are the head of the home and what happens there and what is produced is finally your responsibility. I also think he's addressing fathers because fathers have a particular tendency to be tempted to do the kind of things he's going to forbid in just a moment in verse 4, like provoking them to anger. Uh, first century Roman, the first century Roman world did a really good job of incentivizing the worst kind of masculine authority. Masculine authority with no accountability. Masculine authority with no consequences. Masculine authority with no checks and balances. That's an ugly ugly thing. First century Roman fathers could essentially do whatever they wanted to with their kids, um, even sell them into slavery if it were necessary. Roman fathers would, would it, maybe they have a debt, okay, and they, would, they could do that. They, they had unlimited, they could just do whatever they wanted to. Roman world did not value women, and the Roman world did not value children. It's just the nature of things. Um, now, what happened in Ephesus was the gospel came. Christ came, and he changed these fathers, and they started learning about who Jesus is, and what loving authority looks like, and how authority flows to those who take responsibility and who say, that's on me, I'll take it, I'll serve. That mindset started coming to these dads. And so, and so Paul says, fathers, now mom's, mom's right there with you, but dads, this is, let, let, you're, you're to lead out in this. You set the tone, okay? You set the tone. And so he says, and you fathers, and what he does is he gives parents something not to do and something they should do. Not to do and should do. First, what they should not do. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to, rasp, to wrath. Colossians 3 says, do not exasperate your children lest they become discouraged. Oh, it's such a just vivid picture, discouraged children over the, over the nature, of, uh, nature of, of, of moms and dads. Uh, parents are told not to provoke children so that they seethe with irritation, with anger and resentment. Now, this can happen in a number of ways. We can be overly strict when we ought to be uh, graciously corrective. We can show favoritism in ways that are unhelpful. We, we can be sarcastic with our children in a way they don't get, but they just think we're just being harsh with them. We can confuse. I find, I, I have to always remember not to confuse with, with my children or with my grandchildren the, the difference between firm and harsh. There's all sorts of ways we can provoke, we can create this reaction. But I have to tell you, I think that one of the ways that I obey this command not to do it is by managing, managing myself as a dad and father. It was a really interesting study uh, produced by a woman named Ellen Galinsky. I find this fascinating. She did a survey a few years ago called Ask the Children. She interviewed more than 1,000 children grades 3 to 12. One of the questions asked kids was about how their parents' work affected them at home. And it was striking. Galinsky uncovered from these children, their results to that question was not that these children, ages 3 to 12, necessarily wanted more time with their parents. They just wanted their parents less stressed and frantic when they were together. Galinsky makes this point that it seems like many children are, in this frantic time in which we live, suffering from what she called secondhand stress. What I have found is that my home operates better when I myself am not provoked, or not provoked to anger. And when I myself am not seething with irritation and with resentment. And when I'm able to manage myself. Uh, 
in Galatians 6, Paul says, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Well, I find that what I'm doing with my kids a lot of time is restoring them in a spirit of gentleness, right? Well, you who are spiritual, I got to have me right. Because, because the callings given to me, what Paul's going to say to do, are not to be done in that kind of way. So we're not to provoke them to anger. But second, we are to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This is, the, uh, this is, a, this is a calling for a Christian household. It's a calling for a Christian family. There is such a thing. We're told to bring them up. This is the parental task. Bring them up involves nurture and care, gentleness and compassion. It's the same as husbands in Ephesians chapter 5 where they are told to nourish and cherish their wives. It's the same exact word. Children are to be tenderly cherished. Paul's vision of the Christian family looks like children growing up in an environment of loving and even friendly authority. Playful, kind, loving, engaged authority. Firm and kind. Gentle and tough. Love with self-discipline. Kindness with self-control. And then Paul gives two tools parents have in their toolbox for raising children with tenderness and care. Training and admonition. Training and admonition. He says training. Training is, training is discipline. And the word in the New Testament even means discipline that is painful at times. It is discipline. Parents, we need to remember discipline, not punishment. Discipline, not condemnation. Discipline, not revenge or retribution. Then we have admonition. Admonition is the second tool. Now, this involves the communication that we give to our children, whatever age they may be. And, and this is a place where the kind of communication we, we may do gives, is very varied, depending upon the age, depending upon whether we're about to send them out or they're, or they're entering into adolescence or they're 21 asking for us for advice. Encouragements, corrections, rebukes, instructions, counsels. Hey, let me give you some advice. It's your decision. Warnings, admonitions, wise counsel as best as we can give it. Children need communication that inspires and fills them with hope so that they know and, 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 can do, and know that we are proud. Children need communication that is firm and says this, not that. They're not here. Children need communication that is earnest, even intense, expressing the seriousness of what mom and dad are saying. The law of your mother, the commands of your father. I, I'm, I'm eager, especially at this stage of life, but at all times to have my children's attention. I'm, I'm, I'm speak, I, I need you to value what I'm saying. Children need communication that, that provides biblical truth and helps them understand God and his world. The home is to be a place of intentional discipleship where children are brought up to turn from their sins, to be taught you are not just disobeying dad, you're sinning against God. And to turn from it and to be taught, confess, and, 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 and when you leave this room, when we're done with this talk, you're forgiven. So go join the family because that's how God treats us. Let's say there's not consequences and tr trust is something we build. But we model the gospel. We say embrace Christ by faith. We give them the bread of the word. We teach them. We open it up at dinner. There's a thousand ways you can do this. But, but, this, but the home is this Deuteronomy 6 place where the, word, where the word is spoken in the backyard and in the bedroom. It's spoken in the car and from church. 
It's a word-centered place. The word sets us free. My kids need to be free. Because they come into the world as sinners. And their greatest need is to turn from their sin and trust in Christ. How do I do that? I admonish them. Trust Christ. Trust Christ. Homes are where disciples are made. Again, I am convinced the most consistent and comprehensive evangelism and discipleship I may ever do will be in the midst of my five children. Now, I want to make application by making two statements. Two statements. First, friends, we should pray for and support families. We should pray for and support families at whatever stage we were in, whether we're right in the middle of it, like Jessica was speaking of and her, and her children and one of them about to start high school and she can't believe it. I, this is absolutely the case. I, um, I, I, parenting is hard and it goes really fast. Every advice I've ever been given by, by a parent a little bit ahead of me um, has said, hey man, it goes by fast. And it really is true. Uh, days feel long and years feel, sh- feel short. No. It really is true. And so whether we're right in the middle of it, we're looking forward to it as something we desire, which can I just say... Um, Amen. Single men, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, just bear with me for a minute. Desire to be a husband and father. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a glory. Single women desire to be a, to be a, mom, a mom and a wife. These are good things. I don't know what God's got planned for you, but these are good things. And he's gonna have grace for you for what he calls you to. Whether we desire it or whether we're looking back on that time in our life, we need to pray for each other in our community groups, in our ministries. We need to be a church that supports one another. There's a thousand ways we can do this. Hopefully, I'm supporting you now by preaching this sermon. Uh, I, I absolutely adore our kids' ministry purpose statement. The purpose statement of our kids' ministry is joining parents and pointing kids to Jesus. Now, Pastor Brian is in the service. I didn't ask him about this, but I'm going to presume upon something. I think, there's, I think the two most important words, I love it. I think the two most important words in that sentence are, first, Jesus. Second, joining. Joining parents and pointing kids to Jesus. I'm so thankful that so many are willing to teach my, teach my kids God's word, God's word. After this service, there'll be a, there'll be a parent meeting down, down front for children of teenagers or excuse me, for parents of teenagers. And, and pastors Andrew and Brian, uh, excuse me, pastors Andrew and Jonathan are, 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 not, are not gonna just give information about what our student ministry is doing this fall. They're gonna say to parents, be involved, be involved. Friends, this is one of the ways we make disciples. We should pray for one another. Second, I want us to consider what the family has to teach us. I wanna consider what the family has to teach us. And I'll tell you what my family has to teach me. What I know is that being a husband and a father has taught me many things and will continue to teach me many things. But it absolutely has taught me and will continue to teach me that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. My, my, uh, my wife and I do quite a bit of premarital counseling and it's a t- with young couples and it's a ton of fun. We love it. It's really a joy. And, and, you know, we're sitting there with these two people that are beaming and their, you know, their marriage is, you know, three months away or whatever, and all they can see is sunshine and roses. Um, yeah, little do they know. Just kidding. Um, it's, and it's our job to just get that out of there, man. Here's, here's some reality. No, I, here's, here's something we do tell them. Uh, we do tell them something you're going to learn very quick is that, is that the marriage that you build together and the home that you build together will probably be the greatest source of sanctification the Lord has for you. Um, 
these relationships will make you more like Jesus than just about anything else. Because I, I can't look. My, my, you, no one in this room knows me like my wife and kids. They know me because they're always there. Right? I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't hide who I am. I can't. And some of us are so burdened by keeping, up, by keeping up an appearance that isn't there. Look, I'm just telling you, my goal with my children and family, I'm really not concerned that my children conform to a standard. I want them to love a standard. I want them to obey from the heart. I want them to be changed, not to be good. I don't care if they keep all the rules and they go to hell. So it isn't just, as we consider what the family has to teach us, it isn't just, so, so let me ask you this question. Who, whose job is it to teach the children in the home? Whose job is it to teach the children to obey and honor? Mom and dad. That's got to be the context of this passage because clearly training and admonishment would include what's taught in verse 1. So what do I do as a dad? I get, down, I get down in front of my kids and I say, God requires that you obey me. Moms get, son, that was not honorable. What you, what you, that was not honoring. That, moms and dad, we have to say, grandparents, if you're in a different situation, you have to say that. We teach them that. And so, and so there is to be, this, to be this consistent practice where parents say to children, obedience to a good God is always best. Because here's the, here's the fact that I know. My, my children should obey without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. And that's exactly how I am supposed to obey the Lord Jesus. I am supposed to obey. If you are a follower of Christ here today, you are called by the living Jesus because he is good, his commands are good. You are under the loving authority of the Lord Christ. And when he says go, you go. I can't tell Jesus no. And so <laughs> how am I doing it? my own obedience to the Lord? Because my kids are receiving it, they're seeing it. I'm to obey Jesus without challenge, without excuse, and without de delay. Completely, wholeheartedly, all the way, finish the task every time. That leads us to say this. Moms, dads, grandparents, grandmothers, at whatever stage we are in, however we are receiving this word about family today, positive, negative, we're not sure what to think. Here is what I know. It is not only the task of a parent to look at a child and say, obedience to a good God is always best. I don't know how many times I have gotten down eyeball to eyeball with my children and said, daddy needs Jesus too. Buddy, I am so sorry. I need the gospel just as much as you do. And look, that changes everything. It changes everything. Because, because I, I need this too, just like you do. And we sow that gospel to them. Because I want my children to know. I'm, I'm I was trying to think, what is the... What is the quintessential fatherhood moment in the Bible? What's the, what's the top fatherhood, parenthood moment? Now, there's a lot of verses about parenting, but where do we see it? Where is it depicted the clearest? I think it's the baptism of Jesus, where the son goes into the water and the father is the father's there. He's up above. He's, he makes his presence felt by sending the spirit. He makes his presence known. He's engaged because he speaks. 
He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The father at the fatherhood moment says, that's my boy. I love him. I am well pleased with him. And it is, it is the mystery of the gospel that I cannot get over. That, in, that by virtue of my union with the son, I become a son. I become a child. And so above every father is the father. And above every mother is the mother. Whose arms are open wide for all the pain and the success and the regret that we may feel. There is no guilt in life. There is no fear in death. Friends, our salvation is not in our parenting. Our salvation is in Jesus Christ. You are not saved because you parent great. And you're not lost because you feel like you've wrecked it. You are safe and you are secure in Jesus Christ. That is the good news about being a family. Now, what I want us to do is to take just a moment and consider and pray these things. Would you bow your head? I'm going to lead us to just have a moment of, just a moment of prayer. Michael, I think Michael's going to come and maybe play over us for just a moment. And I want us to consider these things together. And friends, as you're just there in your seat, I'm going to give some space for some silence, not very long, in just a moment to do three things. I want us to think about what we've heard and the ways in which it may apply to us at our season of life. I want us to pray about those things God has laid on our hearts, to pray about those things God has laid on our hearts. And I want us to confess sin and to believe the gospel, that gospel that is greater than all our sin. Let's take just a moment to think about what we have heard, to pray about and for those things he has laid on our heart, and to confess sin and to believe the gospel, the gospel that is greater than all your sin. Let's take a moment and consider these things. Jesus, you're so kind to speak so clearly and directly. I thank you for it. I hope and I pray that this message has done some good, that it has undermined our way of thinking, that it's corrected things, that it's convicted, that it's challenged, that it's comforted. Lord, I pray that you administer your gospel to our hearts and to our lives. I pray that you would give comfort where it's needed. I pray that you would provide principles that will perhaps make us more successful in what we're doing. I hope and I pray and I ask that the Holy Spirit would fill each mom and dad, those right in the middle of this, and give them great wisdom, give them great concern, give them tenderness, give them the difference between firm and harsh. Lord, I pray that if we are past that and we're looking onto our kids doing it, that we would cheer and counsel and help as best we can. Lord, comfort those of us who are so eager for these things because we see them as good. As Jessica shared so earlier, would you be, would you be sufficient for those moments? 
So Holy Spirit, I'm just trusting you to minister and to help and to guide and to direct in all the ways that you know how. And Lord, we want to end on a high note that your your gospel is greater than all our sin. And and perhaps what we need to do today is to go home and, and and look at some people and say, I've forgotten the gospel. I, I, I forgot that I need God's grace just as much. And I'm going to continue to remember this so that God can, can, can continue to produce humility, love, and graciousness in me. Lord, Lord, I pray that what we know not, you have taught us. What we did not have, you've given us. And what we are not, you, you've, you've, you've made us as a result of your word. So Lord, we go from here in celebration knowing that Christ is risen from the dead and that he will complete that he has worked the work that he has started in each of us, and that we can entrust these things to you, Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.